welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger. So welcome to episode 17 of Sleep Talk and welcome Moira. Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. So the theme of this episode is headaches and, you know, how do headaches and sleep go together? Well, turns out someone on Facebook contacted me and said, look, you know, you should do a podcast about headaches and sleep. And I thought, yeah, really? But, but ever since then, I've been listening to people talk about their sleep and lots of people have headaches. Yeah. And it's just and a you really... And sleep as well. Yeah. And it, these two things really do seem to go together. So it's a good topic. And that's what we're going to talk about is how do headaches and sleep relate to each other and how do they impact on each other. So what's been going on for you, Moira? Well, I had a big month. It was World Sleep Day, of course, on March 17th, which clashed with a few other things like St. Patrick's Day and oh. Ride to School Day, National Ride. There's a few other we're competing with a few events on that oh, Friday man. the 17th. There's so many days. <laughs> Everything is stacking up, isn't it? I know. So, so we did have a, we tried to have a bit of a, you know, a thing, a call to action rather than just a day. Yeah. But yeah, we didn't get a lot of leverage. We tried though. You were yeah. in the media and yeah. I saw you promoting it and I tried to give it a plug on the yeah. Today Show when yeah. I was on it. Yeah. I don't know. So next time, I think people, I think there's a bit of fatigue around world such and such day. Yeah, true. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I'd agree yeah. with that. I really like the theme that you've chosen though. I reckon that's really relevant in this day and age of, you know, take an hour off the screens and set aside yes. an hour more for something else or an hour more for sleep. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll try again with that, but maybe not even on World Sleep Day, maybe in some other capacity, some other time, because all of us need to take that call to action. Yeah. There was a couple of people that were really interested. I shouldn't say there was no media interest. There was, I did a very lengthy radio interview mm-hmm. for two GB, like one of those New South Wales based, you know, like commercial. I think there's like our, is it? The guy, Ray Hadley, I think, mm-hmm. or something like that, who's very well known. I shouldn't be saying something like that. <laughs> I think he thought I knew who he was. And he was a lot, he was great. We had a great discussion around it all. And yeah. he was particularly interested in that. But funnily enough, it was an interview that was quite late at night. It was sort of quite ironic. Yeah. He missed, didn't get my number right. And I thought, well, it must be not on. He didn't ring at the appropriate time. And he rang at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> on oh, the night we're meant to turn our screens and everything off. And oh, I was in nice. bed. <laughs> uh, you're following your example. And yeah. You had to get up. So, so we had to laugh about that. And then you also on the telly, so it's been daylight savings. We've been through that shift. Yes. And I saw you on television talking about that. What what happened yes. with that? So me who hates television, I said never go on it again. I've got a good face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> I went back because it was a daylight savings um, panel. They mm-hmm. said, let's, can you have a, come on and they wanted someone from the Sleep House Foundation. Yep. Everyone else stood back and I was left standing and <laughs> I tried to get out. I said, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. It was a panel, it was sort of two guys, one in Perth and one in Cairns and me, like, you know, panel screens on a on the TV screen. Uh, it was meant to be a debate and a discussion around daylight savings pros and cons mm-hmm. and then me as the health expert, you know, about what, what's sleep all about in terms of um, losing an hour of sleep and the potential dangers. So, of course, there was not there was no debate. There yeah. was not really a big discussion. I had about 30 seconds worth of, you know, wisdom. Yeah. But it was good. At least I didn't – it was fine. But it was interesting because they were saying that, you know, daylight savings, that one hour, there's a spike in crashes and strokes and heart attacks and judges being harsher with their sentencing. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow. Because there is – and I saw the research. I looked yeah. – I read it. I thought it was swatted, of course, the night yeah, before. I gave the producer that one. Oh, did you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then they, so they made a lot of, while I was nervous, like waiting for me to come on, they were showing all their footage, like they had a little story about it all, a judge with a hammer going bang, like, (laughs) 
I thought, oh no, my heart's pounding going on about to be on soon live on a Saturday morning. But my take on it all was that of course like that one hour well the research I looked at the fine print of the research and the spike say it's twenty percent increase. Mm-hmm. At the end of the daylight save period when we get a month we get a month, we get an hour more. Yeah. The spike is the reverse. Like you get twenty yeah. percent decrease in those things. So it sort of evens itself out over the time. Yes. I had a bit of a discussion with some colleagues before I went to air because I was representing the Sleep Health Foundation. I thought, mm-hmm. well it's not just my opinion. What what's our party line? on daylight savings like for health effects is, is it good or bad yeah and the consensus is well in general terms that one hour we lose in a few days or so you you adapt you adjust yeah. to that we all know how to adjust to that as mammals like we just you know it's not that dangerous i don't think as a, as a general thing otherwise none of us would be flying anywhere like one hour difference are we going to yeah, crash yeah. our car the next day it's not a general thing we do <laughs> but in general terms if we're manipulating light or manipulating the time you know to have more light in general but more light is better for your health yeah so that was my party line. So that's what I spoke about. And I think that's why we kind of just fizzed out the debate. <laughs> there was no kind of, oh, right, okay, thanks, Warren. Thanks, everyone. And then went to the ad break. <laughs> anyway. And I, and I like that way of thinking about it too, that, you know, there's sure you get a bit of circadian misalignment for a day or maybe mm. short-term sleep loss. Yeah. But you, the gain is, yeah. you know, more physical engagement with the outside world and yeah. more, and more physical activity and yeah. socialisation. Yeah, and, and I understand those places. Like it was interesting that it was Perth and Cairns that these guys were talking about. And they don't have, like Western Australia and Queensland don't have daylight savings. But they have a different climate to us mm. and it's very, very hot and so, and it gets light, and they, so they can make the most of their mornings a lot more yep. than we do in the southern, east of these southern eastern states. Maybe they just don't need daylight savings, and I think it's really beneficial overall for us. Yeah, I would say though, just the last two weeks or so, I think it should finish early March because it's yeah. very dark it's in been the dragging mornings. On. It's a yeah. bit long, so I might. Yeah. That's one thing I would probably next year I'll go and <laughs> program and <laughs> debate. I just think at the end of by the end of summer, you know, end of summer, end of Feb, start of March, that would be better. Because yeah. I think it's really eerily like winter in the mornings, like say quarter past seven. It's quite dark. Yeah. And it's a hot day. It's really weird. Yes. It has been a bit strange in yeah. Melbourne the, the last couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, but I'm happy to get the, you know, it's just recently got our extra hour. We yeah. can't complain about that. That was good. The theme for this month's podcast is headaches and how do headaches interact with sleep? Do people with sleep disorders get headaches more commonly than people otherwise? Or do headaches conversely impact on sleep? As I said in the introduction, this is a topic that was really highlighted to me by someone who sent me a message on Facebook. So nice example, if you want us to do a podcast and research a particular area, send us a message and we'll look into it for you. So as doing some of that background research, that's how we've come up with the guests that we're going to speak to in this episode. Uh, Andrew Evans, who's a colleague of mine, a neurologist uh, here in Melbourne, and Professor Anne Calhoun from North Carolina. And when I started looking into this and listening to people talk about sleep, and in particular having my sort of ears pricked listening for headaches, yeah, I did seem to find lots of people have headaches and different types of headaches, migraine headaches, what we think of more as tension type headaches, persistent headaches, cluster headaches. And there's even a condition called exploding head syndrome, which is a sleep disorder where people get a sudden headache on going off to sleep. So it really has opened my eyes to the fact that headaches and sleep problems do seem to go together. But what about you, Moira? What are you seeing people you work with? I hadn't really thought about it that much. A lot of people, a lot of women particularly, report headache in LinkedIn with their menstrual cycle mm-hmm. and a bit of and dehydration as well. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think about whether the headaches are causing the sleep disturbance 
or whether the sleep disturbance is causing the headaches. Yeah. And obviously it's a bit of both. What's your general feeling about what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I'm sure there'll be each, examples of each. Yeah. So examples where people get, say, a headache syndrome with migraine and it mm. really is painful and disturbs their sleep. And then there's also, we know if people aren't sleeping well, just say they've got insomnia or they're waking a lot during the night, the way the brain blood flow operates is different. Mm. So you don't get the same reduction in brain metabolic activity and therefore the same reductions in brain blood flow. So that sets you up to get a vascular mismatch in terms of blood flow and how much you need, which is the right ingredients then to get a migraine. Yeah. And I think of that too in circadian rhythm disorders mm. where if you've got a delayed phase, so your body's not expecting to be up, it's expecting to be laying in bed, but you've set the alarm and you're up early and you're upright and getting to work. Your brain blood flow isn't going to be regulated in the same way. It's going to be regulated as if you should be lying flat, but you're actually standing up. Yes. Which is the right so ingredients as well to get a headache yeah, and a problem with and brain. To feel out of sorts. Yeah. The other factor too, I guess, with uh, headache and other other parts of chronic pain is that sometimes people, you know, they have to take the day off work or they withdraw into bed mm -hmm. and then they sleep the day away. Oh, yeah. And so then it just becomes problematic with that nighttime sleep mm -hmm. because they've had to kind of just retreat and, and get some sleep. But sometimes people just say, I just need to go to bed. I just need to get in the dark room and just sleep it off. And naturally, as we know, if it's a big, long, chunky sleep, it does interfere with the, the nighttime sleep period then. So, yeah, so I think it's a great. I'm glad we're discussing it. It's something that a lot of people, yeah, it's very, very common. Yeah. A lot of people suffer with this. So to help give us some background just on headaches themselves and the different type of headache syndromes and common headache treatments, I had the chance to talk to Dr. Andrew Evans. So Andrew uh, trained at the Royal Melbourne and Western Hospitals and Kingston Centre in Australia, but also spent uh, four years training in the UK at Queen Square. And he's currently the director of the Movement Disorder Service at Royal Melbourne Hospital, uh, but in his private practice, and a lot of his practice actually has a particular interest in headaches. So thanks for joining us, Andrew. Thank you very much, David. There are a range of different headache syndromes. So people I see who have trouble with sleeping describe different types of headaches. What are the different headache syndromes? Headaches are incredibly common in the community. About 15% of people experience some sort of headache. Probably the commonest type of headache syndrome is migraine and this is much more common in females compared to men. The other types of headache syndromes that can be quite common include chronic tension headache, and then there are more uncommon types of headaches that have a particular relevance to sleep, cluster-type headaches. And of people I'm seeing with sleep problems, who do you reckon I should be sending along if they're reporting headaches? It's often hard to know whether the sleep disorder causes the headache yeah. or the headache causes the sleep disorder. And what's really interesting is, for instance, with migraines. Now, these are this is a disorder that typically comes on in adolescence or 20s and 30s. The migraines are usually associated with headaches, though interestingly, not all migraines involve a headache. And the headache tends to have at least a couple of the following types of pain characteristics. It's unilateral, pulsating, it's of a moderate or severe intensity and aggravated by routine physical activity. These sorts of things are quite typical features. In addition, they're often associated with nausea, vomiting, photophobia or phonophobia. That means sensitivity to light or sensitivity to sound. When somebody has migraines, though, typically you take a pill, the headache goes or and have a lie down. But there's a group of patients who become very debilitated or disabled by virtue of the fact the headaches become very frequent. Mm -hmm. And 
in people, for instance, who experience more headache days, not necessarily migraine, but headache days a month than not, these sorts of people are the ones that we should definitely see as part of you know, considering their sleep uh, problems. And there's a subset of people I see with hypermobility syndrome, so mm. problems with collagen or problems with orthostatic intolerance. They seem to get headaches. What sort of headaches do they typically get? The studies are actually somewhat lacking, but overall, the sorts of headaches you see, typically migraines, are much more prevalent in these individuals. And it has something to do with, I think, hypersensitivity, uh, not just of the autonomic nervous system. This is the nervous system that controls blood vessel tone, sweating and temperature regulation, but also, I guess, a hypersensitivity perhaps of the pain system as well. And and in these sorts of scenarios, then headache uh, situations are very common and they follow a fairly similar routine to the normal types of headache patterns that we see, but I think much more frequently. And difficult to treat. Another thing I see with people with sleep problems and headache is teeth grinding. So how does teeth grinding or bruxism, headache, sleep problems, how do they all go together? This is so under-investigated. We know that teeth grinding in children is very strongly linked to uh, migraines. About 30 to 40% of children grind their teeth. In adults, the risk of teeth grinding in general is much less, 10%. But the impression I have in migraine populations is that that is much more common. And when we're treating migraines, uh, we I tend to consider the possibility of teeth grinding. I'm also interested to know whether the teeth grinding can cause arousals in sleep at night time, that is, diminish or reduce your sleep quality. And, and I'm interested uh, when I do treat in terms of how effective that is in terms of you know reducing that problem. And you've talked about the headache syndromes. If people have got headaches and thinking about different types of treatment, what are the main types of treatment that are used for headaches? This is a this is a fantastic question and so important. The the first thing to say is that often it's not about finding a stronger pill or pain reliever. It's about rational use of these. So we're very keen on treating headaches early to get the best effect of the pain-killing medications, but not too regularly. So it's it's a sort of important to withhold those medications when not needed as it is to take them when it is. And so it's important to have a discussion with your doctor about how frequently you can use analgesic medications, whether it's even something as simple as Panadol or Paracetamol. The other thing that we look at is preventative medications. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the issues with all of these medications often is tolerability and, of course, the potential for the medications to have side effects. And we often tailor the side effects of these preventive medications to the individual. So if somebody has sleep disturbances, we may be looking at uh, preventive medications that, in fact, can improve sleep quality. And the last thing that we look at is we look at managing risk factors. Now, Everybody is aware, or many people are aware, of triggers. Triggers are things like stress that can suddenly bring on a headache or a migraine headache, and and trigger avoidance has some role. But when we're looking at risk factors, these are important aspects of lifestyle that can be modified to reduce the likelihood that you're going to get a headache next month or uh, after that. So I'm very big on sleep hygiene, maintenance of weight, uh, adequate uh, healthy weight, sufficient physical activity, 
I guess, uh, stress management, management as well and mindfulness techniques and, you know, healthy eating. And there's a lot of overlap. We use mindfulness. You know, if I'm seeing someone with non-restorative sleep that's a bit stress-related and maybe they've got some tension headache, you know, I reckon mindfulness is a really good fit for that. There's some people I've seen that you've managed who have used Botox for headache. So what's the role for that? This has really changed the way that we manage people with headaches. And in the past, despite the availability of multiple drugs, they're really not that effective on the whole. And many patients who are having very frequent headaches need some sort of circuit breaker. And Botox seems to have a very beneficial effect in the majority of people who are eligible and require it. And when we treat it with Botox, what we're doing is we're treating, I think, the the pain fibres as much as perhaps the muscle muscle tension in the head and the neck. Patients tend to get a three-monthly treatment schedule and the effect tends to build up over time in terms of reducing the number of headaches that you can experience a month. In addition, of course, we can use Botox to treat muscles uh, like the jaw muscles that may be important in terms of teeth grinding or bruxism. So when we treat with Botox, we're treating the areas that are affected by migraines, forehead, scalp, temples, back of the head, neck and shoulders, all the areas that are typically affected by migraines. Great. Thanks for those insights. Oh, thanks very much. So that was really interesting, what Andrew's take on all the different headache syndromes. Gosh, it's a really special topic of interest. He's been studying for such a long time. Yeah. And some of the treatments he talks about, like Botox to relieve that muscle tension in the back of the neck. You know, when you and I work with people, say, with insomnia or non-restorative sleep, often we're thinking of muscle tension, but it's manifesting in a different way, restlessness during the night grinding teeth, mm. those type of things. Mm. He's just seeing it from a yes. headache point yeah. of view. Yeah, I think that's it's true, isn't it? You sort of just see things with your perspective. Like yeah. That's what you, you focus on. So you're like our next guest, Moira. So in trying to look at what how to tie headaches and sleep together, I came across Professor Anne Calhoun from North Carolina. And around 10 years ago, in her role as a headache specialist and a particular interest in menstrual migraine, she noticed that people she was seeing with migraine had what we'd call non-restorative sleep. So found that, yes, they might be sleeping, but sleep is light or not giving them the restoration that Mm. they need. And so she did a couple of studies, one looking at characteristics of sleep in people she was seeing with migraine, and then a follow-up study saying if she did something to improve their sleep, and you'd be pleased, a non-drug strategy (laughs) and CBT-like approach, could she actually make their headaches better? And And she did. Yeah, the spoiler (laughs) is she (laughs) she did. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Not. (laughs) That's great. So Professor Calhoun graduated from the University of Tennessee College of Medicine uh, and completed her internship and residency at University of Tennessee and Baptist Memorial Hospital and is board certified in internal medicine, headache medicine and menopause and has a particular interest in menopausal migraine. So thanks very much, Anne, for joining us and helping us out answer some questions about headache and sleep. Happy to be here. Thank you. In my practice as a sleep physician, I do see a lot of people with sleep problems report headache. So what's the link between headache and sleep? Well, it's been reported for quite a while that the patients who have chronic migraine or, or used to call them transformed migraines have uh, problems with their sleep. So I actually did a study a few years ago looking into just what are all these issues. What I've discovered with uh, almost 35 years of doing just headache medicine is that if a patient has daily headaches or very, very frequent headaches, uh, they wake up tired. 
Uh-huh. Um, and never see the patient who has restorative sleep with daily headaches. It's a very tight connection. So that led me to kind of look to see what are all the issues that we're dealing with. And we found a lot of them. Yeah, that makes sense because a lot of the time I'm seeing people or they're coming to me because they're tired and maybe they're feeling like they don't have restorative sleep and headaches comes out as part of their symptomatology, but they're not presenting to me saying, hey, it's headache that's driving it. But it does seem to be part of that package of tiredness and disturbed sleep. Right. Well, I, I get the same thing. They're coming to see me because they have daily headaches. But what I want to spend time talking with them is why they have them. Uh, I'll tell them there are two reasons that they have chronic migraine. The first, they inherited a, uh, a threshold from one parent or the other that was too low for setting off the trigeminal complex in the brain. But the other one is that they're waking up tired. Uh, we've got to fix that to get them out of chronic chronic migraine, get them back to where they have just the occasional headache. When you looked at that population of people with uh, migraine and tiredness, what were some of the things that you found? Oh, we found a number of things. Uh, we, we were looking, first of all, at just their schedules. I have to have a 22-point sleep history that I go through. But uh, just television or reading in bed was the most common bad habit that we were seeing. And now it's TV, reading, texting, video games. I mean, it's everything in or on the bed. Getting up at night to urinate, very, very common trouble falling asleep, taking naps. The majority of them are using sleeping pills or medications to fall asleep. Uh, we don't want a medicated sleep. A lot of them had restless leg syndrome. Uh, there was snoring, uh, too much time in bed, too little time in bed, just such a wide variety of sleep problems. And that's really interesting because then in people I might see with headaches, though they don't present to me with headaches, it just reinforces the importance of looking for coexistent sleep disorders uh, that may be contributing to their headache syndrome. Yeah, I've said so many times, I can't fix their headaches until we get them waking up refreshed. And so then what did you go on and do? You found these associations and then you put some things in place to try and see if you can improve things. What did you actually do? Oh, it was such a simple study. I simply took uh, 43 women with with chronic migraine. They were averaging over a decade of daily headaches. And I got their permission to enroll them in a behavioral study. So half of them got five sleep instructions. The other half got five diet and exercise that were judged to sound to be sort of equally plausible sounding, but they were placebos. And they all had to keep a diary, come back in six weeks. When they came back, if they'd been on the placebo instructions, we crossed them over to get the right mistake. So everybody got the right instructions at some point in the study. But if they fixed all five of the bad sleep habits, only one person did not revert back to episodic. And it was a lady who was sleeping with a cat she was allergic to. I didn't know anybody did that. We now know a pretty good percentage of folks who are sleeping with pets are allergic. She actually gave the cat to her aunt. She reverted also. But if they had three or more bad sleep habits remaining, no one reverted. And I see that day in, day out, year in, year out. If they fix it, we get them out of it. If they don't, I'll try explaining to them again why it's so important. <laughs> so we, we've really got to get them to fix bad sleep habits. 
Yeah. So what were your five things that you addressed? First was just to allow eight hours time in bed, uh, nine if they were uh, 25 or younger, under 25, I think I put at that time. But eight hours time in bed is consistent. It doesn't vary more than half an hour, one day to the next, weekdays to weekends. It gives them that time. The second one was no TV, music, reading, texting, video games, anything in or on the bed. And they would argue back, well, I'm reading something calming. Well, the content doesn't matter. I was explaining to them that the problem is is not the subject matter. The problem is rapid brainwave activity. They were in this Baywave EEG activity, and we're trying to get them to slow down eventually to a delta wave. I tell them that's why my dog can't do insomnia. I have a really smart dog. She can't do it. If she lies down, her brain waves slow because she doesn't have the vocabulary to lie there and think with. The third one, I wanted them to learn a visualization technique. So that part did involve a medication. I gave them just five dose, uh, five tablets of low-dose Zolpidem, you know, Ambien, the little five-milligram dose. Uh, and they got five tablets to last seven days. So we're going to use a full one the first four nights, then half, a quarter, and a quarter while they practiced a visualization. And I wanted something like grandmother's house, a place they hadn't been in a long time, but it's a real memory and bad things didn't happen to them there. So that they, they would just sort of wander through looking at stuff while this medicine is slowing their brain waves. By the fourth or fifth night, they are typically falling asleep before it starts working. With the, then they cut it in half, quarter, quarter, and uh, they're falling asleep because I classically conditioned them uh, to that. And then the fourth one is move the evening meal at least four hours before bedtime and limit liquids to um, six ounces of, of liquid in the three hours before bedtime. I have to look at my original instructions to see what, what I was telling them back in 2007. Yeah. And then the fifth one, stop all naps. Just put more pressure on sleep to be consolidated. Yeah, so they really are sleep hygiene instructions, except for the re- you're bringing in that relaxation or that meditation. Right. And that was just to, to get them to fall asleep quickly. We now find that the people who have have gone all the way around, in the first goal is to get rid of the menstrual migraine. Second goal, get most of the days perfect. Third goal, they should never again have a headache that lasts more than one hour, recurs two days consecutively, or ever get some to moderate intensity. And then home runs, and I'm sort of seeing them once a year, and just they're laughing and talking about when they used to have headaches. But but in doing that, they, it's when they wake up refreshed, they're they're back to where most of their days are perfect. And then any other steps that you tried to help with that waking feeling refreshed? I think anything specifically, but there are a lot of medications we certainly need to morning because they will impact maybe their slow wave sleep or their REM sleep. We, we just like as clean a sleep as we can. I like to say good diet, good exercise, good sleep, and not two out of three. Yeah, that's a good point about the, me- the medications because often, particularly if people are coming to see me, they've got an attentional bias around sleep and they're very focused on trying to get the sleep quality right and chasing that with meds. But probably it's uh, distorting sleep architecture and may not actually be a positive thing. Absolutely. I agree. I don't want them on sleep medications at all. I mean, they all get that one prescription, but no refills. It's just to retrain them to fall asleep quickly. And so that research that you did was around 10 years ago and you've got a lot of clinical experience and you've learned from that research. So now in 2017, what's your approach if someone's 
presenting with persistent migraine headache? Well, it, it's absolutely uh, the same. My first step, because I, I have a little bit of an unusual niche in the headache world in that I deal with menstrual migraine. So they're all women with hormonal issues. Uh, so I'm, I'm preventing the menstrual migraine with by limiting the drop in estrogen. Then second base in, in the strategy is to uh, get, get them back to where most of their days are perfect, and that's fixing the sleep. Uh, I will use some preventive medicines, but I, I did a talk over in Stockholm a few years ago at the International Headache Congress and showed with the database review that our patients were on 25% fewer preventives at their last visit than they were on, on the first visit when they were first referred to us. Uh-huh. So it's it's cleaning it all up. Great. Thank you very much for those insights, Anne, and thanks for your help. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for asking me. So that's really interesting what Anne was talking about and, you know, really impressed about her ability to convert people with persistent headache into having intermittent headache with what's really actually a pretty simple sleep intervention. Right? Yeah. What, what did you think? Yeah, very simple, very yeah, yeah. motherhood statements in terms of, you know, that that's what we all, common sense, you know, things yeah. that... Uh, and the CBT eye is really full of that too, of the common sense things that you, your grandma would have told you. Mm-hmm. And just basically in a nutshell meaning just respect sleep more, yeah. prioritise it, just calm down, slow down, et cetera. And so very impressive to see that pretty much everyone, didn't they, went yeah, from persistent yeah, vast majority of people. intermittent yeah. headaches. Yeah. And that in itself would improve quality of life out of sight, yeah. improve energy, improve mood. And, of course, if those that wanted to pursue further, like, you know, a, a psychologist who's <laughs> interested in health issues or, or clinical issues, sleep issues, pain issues, would take them even further, would be yeah. able to uh, get them just to realign that. So I suppose because it's maintenance, is, is what I think is the maintenance over time is the trick. Yeah. Because once you might start to feel better, and then the old habits keep yeah, creeping true. back in. But they, they might end up just getting a bit more hyper-aroused, staying up later and later, mm-hmm. trying to fit too much into their day, not looking after themselves as much. So I guess it's just that reminder, and which we can do. We don't need clinicians necessarily to tell us to do that. Like as a community, mm-hmm. like healthcare really starts yeah. at, in the home, starts in our schools, our neighbourhoods, our communities, that we all just remind each other to, you know, take it easy a bit, yeah. slow down a bit, have, have some leisure, have some balance. Yeah. You know, get some early nights, lay yeah. off the booze. Yeah, and I really like that too. And almost you think of what um, Anne did in her research studies, you think of that with a stepped care model. Mm. You know, it is that sort of first step. Yes. And a high proportion of people responded and got a great result. But yeah. then if you've got a subset who got a, a suboptimal result, then there's mm. more to do. That's and right. And yeah. got, you've got lots more tricks in your bag that you could use to, to yes. build on that initial work. Yes, without even mentioning the whole, you know, the excitement of mindfulness-based therapy, really, MBTI. Yeah. Using all the CBT stuff that we've previously talked about, but in using mindfulness as well. Because she didn't necessarily even have that, did she? It was all really, no. really basic. It was really sleep hygiene yeah. in, in a sense, so, yeah. so sleep advice. Yeah. So there, there's a lot, yeah, there's so many more layers to where people could go. Mm. With, and I wonder, I mean, she sounds really interesting. I wonder if she would come and... Um, do some visits to Australia, do some talks. She might even, because she's not someone who necessarily has presented at any sleep conferences, I don't know. Has she presented at? Yeah, I didn't, it, I didn't get a chance to mm, ask Yeah, Anna. so it would be really yeah. great to collaborate with her further, invite her down to Australia. We should do. <laughs> so I hope you've got some insights from our discussion around headaches and sleep. It certainly opened my eyes in reading more about this area to 
get some information together for the podcast. So thanks for yeah. triggering my professional development personally on that. Yeah, keep the suggestions coming because it's yeah, it's really good for us, isn't it, to start talking about topics that we hadn't previously highlighted yeah. as an area of interest. But clearly there's stacks more to talk about. And if you're looking for more information on headaches, there's a nice resource in Australia that's part of the Brain Foundation, uh, headacheaustralia.org.au. So we've come to the clinical tip of the month. What's your tip for this month, Dave? Well, to try and keep it on topic and relevant to headaches, but relevant to other things as well. And really what Anne's research uh, showed me, and I really, one of the things I really loved about it, is how simple measures can have a big impact for people. And things that as a specialist, maybe I'd dismiss and go, you know what, that's not high-powered, high-tech, you butte sort of whiz-bang. Not, not impressive enough. Yeah, or, not impressive yeah. enough. You know, I can't show my masterful skills. <laughs> All those years of study. Yeah. But, but in actual fact, really simple things can be really powerful. So a nice reminder for me and a nice reminder for other clinicians working with people is, yeah, don't forget the small stuff. And often the small stuff can make a really big difference and don't get seduced or distracted by the high-tech, you know, whiz-bang yeah. things because sometimes we don't need that complexity. I agree. So what's your pick of the month, Moira? Well, just recently, throughout March actually, just a couple of weeks ago, a very interesting online course was launched mm -hmm. called A Mindful Way. I'm not sure whether we have talked about this before on the podcast. I think maybe Giselle has been a guest, no? Maybe on Sleep Hub, though yeah. she's been maybe done some Yeah, she's certainly done some interviews on Sleep Hub. For yeah, us. and she's a, a colleague and friend of both of us, and she's, fine. she's been working on this online course for a, a mindful way really to treat insomnia. Mm-hmm. And she's finally launched it online. And I, I just think that's definitely my pick. I think it's really good. Yeah. Not just because she's my friend and colleague. I think it's it's just going to be, it's just a nice thing. It's the first of its kind in a way of someone who has that, that experience and expertise in both sleep treatments and mindfulness. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Giselle's a clinical psychologist. Yeah. So that's my tip. We'll put the link on the show notes. And yeah, that's fantastic. Links, I agree with that. Yeah. Links very well with. Um, which we'll talk about in a minute, but you know, next next month we will talk about mindfulness in more detail. So my tip is out of a, a book, and this tells you a little bit of insight about me. So one of my most prized books is a book from 1916 called Sleep, and it's wow. a collection of quotes from E.W. Cole, published in 1916. How did you even find a book from 1916? <laughs> well, it's, it's also a, well, it's also a sad story. So someone I worked with about 15 years ago who knew what a sleep tragic I was <laughs> saw it at a garage sale oh. and said, oh, David loved that, and so bought it for me and gave it to me, and that, I was so touched wow. by, by that. Yeah. And it's, it's just a, an absolute gem. But it's lots of really cute old quotes about yes. sleep. Give us one. I'll give you two. <laughs> <laughs> I've chosen two. So the first one's from Joseph Addison. And Joseph Addison uh, was born in 1672, died in 1719, a sort of essayist in uh, the UK. So his quote is, My soul is quite weighed down with care and asks the soft refreshment of sleep. Oh, how nice is that? Yeah, that's, nice is. that's what people want more than anything, isn't it? Yeah. Just some refreshment. And it, sleep. and it rings true today. Mm. So that's from the late 1600s, <clears throat> mm. that quote. And 300, 300 yes. odd years later, hasn't changed. hasn't changed. People I see in my office are still weighed yes. down with care, yes. looking for the refreshment of sleep. Yes. All right. It is with another one. All right. Yep. Second one. Heaven trims our lamps while we sleep. 
What? <laughs> <laughs> right, so that was my initial reaction, right? But see, this is also from a time when lamps were candles yes. and trimming the lamps was trimming the, uh, the wick, the wick yes. in the candle. So once you get that sort of that analogy of it's trimming the wick mm. yes. and it's heaven trims our lamps while we sleep so that you wake up in the morning and your wick's yeah. been trimmed and you're ready to, yeah, to, to start line a new up day. Again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that too. Yeah. Gosh, well, there's a treasure trove in there. I think we've got about 200 more pages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to keep dipping into that. <laughs> so if you hear me come up with quotes, you might know, know my little secret about where they're coming from. Thanks, Dave. All right. So look out for some things that are coming up over the next few months. So the sleep conferences we've been talking about, so Sleep 2017, which will be in Boston in June, and then World Sleep in Prague in October, and Sleep Down Under in Auckland at the end of October. It's a little personal plug. I'm having a lovely week at Golden Door at the end of April and into May. I'll be there for about seven days. I still haven't made it there. What's happening? <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Moira. It must be a hiccup. It must have got lost in the mail. The I didn't get the memo. <laughs> but on Saturday night, April the 29th, I'll be talking there as a guest speaker, giving a lecture on sleep. And they do have a weekend program where people can come and stay for the weekend and listen to the guest lecture. And during the week that I'm there, I really love just interacting with guests and, you know, because I love talking about sleep. Everyone chews my ear and I talk to them about sleep nonstop for the whole week. So it's it's pretty good fun. Helps I, I, put them to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then as Moira alluded to, our next episode, which will be go up at the start of May, we're going to actually talk about mindfulness and its role in sleep. And we'll have Dr. Giselle with us, join us as a guest co-host throughout the episode. And we'll talk about Giselle's online program, but we'll actually pick Giselle's brain about mindfulness, how it can be used for sleep. Uh, and a range of other things, and we'll give our own views on how we would use mindfulness in a sleep way. Mm. And it's a coincidence too that there's a there is a movement over the last few years of called you know mindful in May, encouraging people to take a, a call to action. So I'm sure we'll incorporate talking yeah. about that as well. Yeah, so nice timing. So thanks for listening, and remember to send us any suggestions via Facebook or email or because it works. Yeah, we, it works. We, we do. We listen, and of course, if you like the podcast, make sure that you write a review because that's always good for our ego. <laughs> no, no, more importantly, it helps people find the podcast, more people can listen to it. So we really appreciate that. Spread the word. So, yeah, so thanks very much for listening and we look forward to next month. Great. Thanks a lot. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.